Welcome to the Weekend Wild Podcast. I'm Pat. And I'm Jim. And we're two working class dudes who only got two days to get her done. We talk about a lot of fishing, especially muskie, northern, walleye, and in the fall, we love bow hunting. So we've got all your bow tips and tricks. So we also talk about conservation, news articles, cooking, a little bit of lifestyle, and a little bit of opinion. We only have two days to get it done, so come on, tune in, and get Weekend Wild. All right, so here it is. Yeah. A very special guest, Dad. Yeah, our dad. promised with uh, the professional knife sharpener, you know, and taught us everything we knew. And yeah, been and, doing it a long know, time. He could do it better than anybody else. Just legit. Oh, yeah. Were well, you going to run through? I, I, got, I got some little follow-up questions. We'll get to it after the news and all that about how you do this and how you do that and all that kind of stuff. So uh, how about weeks? Did I talk about Heideke last episode or not? With the water? Yeah, you yeah, did. with it being real low. Uh, no, like almost like a turnover situation going on? I don't know. I think no, me maybe you talked about that to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. We so talked. Last week, I got out on our one of our favorite lakes, Heideke, and it looks like a jet ski zoomed around all night. And I noticed the water temp went from 82, the last, like a week before that, to uh, 69. The water was dirty. You couldn't see through it, and it looked like bubbles all over the top of it. I think there was almost like a turnover situation there because it's only nine feet deep. So I think that water swapped places real quick from being so hot, and it brought mud and everything up from the bottom too. And with how, how cool it's been lately, I, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. Is that thing truly fed by a river? Uh, I think they can open up a river to fill it, but I don't think it's fed by a river, no. Okay. I think it's closed uh-huh. off right now because it doesn't go up and down with the river. It does have low water right now. Um, yeah, and then uh, the chili cook-off was a big hit, huh? That was fun. That was a good time. We got to be uh, judges at the chili. We ate chili till we got sick. Oh, yeah. Then, hey, I, I saw you guys were wearing the same shirt. Yeah, yeah that was great. Did you get the yeah. same one, too? You were supposed to be there with it. Uh, no. Caitlin did not do it because she didn't think we were going, and then she RSVP'd and still didn't think we were going. It was, just, it was a crap show. All the guys uh, all the guys had them on, and they didn't tell us. I was mad. I'm like, why? Would, me and Bill had the same shirt on. I thought it was like a situation like mom and dad used to do to us. It's a social, yeah. it's a social media prank. It is, yeah. So, uh, Caitlin told me the night before, and she's like, you cannot say anything. Oh. Because I wasn't going to get one anyway in that time. She's like, you can't say anything. And I'm like, okay, this is... She was showing me the things, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be funny, but it wasn't going to be like, oh, man, you remember that time where we all wore the same shirt? Like, it's not going to be like that level. Jim was pissed. He was pissed on the right up there. Yeah. I was only being made a fool of, you know. On the right up there. How'd you find out on the right up? Because I thought Cal bought me and Bill the same shirts. I didn't realize everybody was in on it yet. Oh. And so I'm like, me and Bill are going to be walking around with the same clothes on. Like, I was mad. And then uh, I still kind of mad because I don't like being made a fool out like that. You walk in and everyone's laughing at you. (laughs) You're thinking, oh, this is great. I'll be back, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, it was a good time. We were judges. He ate some good chili. Eight different, ate, ch- different chilies. Andy won. We were Andy happy. won. So ate oh. too much chili. Speaking of winning, your boy here won. You're his, a cheater. You're a cheater. His first, and it's not really a true win, but we we tied for first place. Uh, was it my doing? You didn't I'm talk about the first easily, place for what? Oh, I'm sorry for golf. Um, I do this charity golf outing every single year, and uh, at first it was a bunch of dudes that. Just like to golf together, and they just scheduled a bunch of tee times. Now it's like an actual charity thing with raffles. and Yeah, I did the first year. I was there for the first year. But uh, here's the thing about anybody that wins a golf outing is they're cheaters. I was just going to say, you know how to win a golf outing? You cheat. You cheat. No, we were we were super, super legitimate. Super legitimate. Keith hey, was... Hey, I believe him. Yeah, Do you believe yeah. him? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Keith was knocking down putts that you were like, whoa. You know, he got to watch all of us do it, so he got a good read. And uh, they were doing very good approach shots. 
Uh, Dan Dan was actually on the approach shot game. I think we only used like five of my shots at the most. I dropped a couple of little putts, but hmm. nothing crazy. But uh, and and one a couple of my drives too. We used two of my drives. Um, they were mostly <laughs> bad. <laughs> but uh, I probably would have shot like a high nineties myself. You still haven't been fishing though, right? No, no fishing, no hunting, nothing. Uh, I didn't go fishing this weekend at all. Pat, I'll have you know, uh, Friday, no, it was Saturday, it was yesterday, on my way to work, I saw a deer, so the rut is on, it is full <laughs> on rut. They keep selling me this. <laughs> me and uh, Nick went and tra- checked some trail cameras, he had a doe sniffing out his trail camera. Is he, he, he can't be allowed to put trail cameras out there. Uh, you're not allowed, no. But it's only legal if you get caught, supposedly. You know? <laughs> and we don't even know where they are, so don't I come do. at me, bro. I do, because he They're showed his me his hunting spots, and the first thing I do with his hunting spot is I marked a point on my phone. Hey, this is a great spot. Boop. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. That, that's what I did when we were on Green Bay. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, you know, I'm never going to be able to remember this place. So I was like, while we're out here, might as well, boop, you know, we're right where we were catching them walleye. Is there an app for that? Uh, I just Google Maps. Oh. I just mark. Uh, what, what am I trying to? Uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now. Not Waypoint. Uh, no, Waypoint is the word. Yeah, uh, no, uh, for like boat stuff, but like uh, pin. Drop a pin. Yeah, drop a pin. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I dropped the pin in two and two of Nick's good hunting spots. And boop boop. Thanks, Nick. So you're gonna be <laughs> filling some dough tags then. I'm. Uh, hey, I'm fine with dough tags. They all taste the same to me. <laughs> well, I actually dough taste a lot better. So like uh, I was talking to the guys at work, and they were amazed that I would shoot anything but a giant buck. And I'm like, hey, if I could shoot one dough and the one that it's with is stupid enough to stand there, I'm getting two doughs. I'm oh. putting them all. They're all dying. You know. I got a bit of a crazy story. I don't know if I told you this yet. So last year when I shot my deer, I went and I got it. Uh, tested for cwd and the yeah. place that i went to go turns out one of the kids that works there is a taxidermist no, no kidding. oh yeah did you ever get that back so i'm getting to that so i get this call this week okay let me let me track back a little bit further here so i thought it was totally forgotten about lost this kid started a business and just totally crapped the bed it threw them all out back and yeah like all of a sudden <laughs> he's got a dumpster full of skulls and yeah animals, right you know what i mean <laughs> and so that's the situation that i thought that happened and i get a call i think it was monday or tuesday and I was going to tell you this, and I was like, maybe I should save for the podcast or whatever. But it said, uh, OMG butchering. And I'm thinking, like, this is clearly fake. OMG. Like, you know, some Indian guy's like, oh, yes, OMG butcher, You know, and, like, that's what I thought I was getting into. But I answered the phone. He's like, hi, is this Patrick? And I'm like, yeah, it is. He said, hey, we got your skull ready. And I'm like, whoa. I was like, I, th- I thought that was forgotten about. Like, I would be embarrassed to call about it by yeah, now. No it's been so long. Yeah. And uh, he says, no. He said, we actually, our orders tripled this year. And didn't know quite how to do them all, like in that amount of time. So they did their same old thing. It just took three times longer. So that makes sense. Um, hmm. So did now, you get it back then or no? Uh, I, I need to go up there and get it back. Oh, you could just wait till November to get that, huh? Uh, we're thinking about doing like a weekend, like a day trip up there. Oh, okay. Just to do some scouting. One thing that hit, uh, you know, who hit me up this week to go fishing was uh, old Fishy Phil. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we made it out to one of the harbors and for salmon. And you know when you just feel like you're doing everything wrong? You're yep. like, oh, man, we got to get there before all the good spots are taken. And then you get out there and nobody's out there. Nobody's out there. You're usually shoulder to shoulder, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, there's nobody here. Did I miss something? Yeah. Is, there, is there something that we don't know about? Well, we didn't catch anything. All so the fish are gone. They got them yeah, all. Yeah, they're all gone. So, yeah, we didn't catch anything. But we had a great time. Well, they, that book we read describes a guy that was uh, super into, you know, the salmon fishing. And then he left to go to college and came back. Yeah, nobody. And did it was anymore. like this huge thing with like tailgating. And the guy's all out there by himself hmm. when he comes back from college, and he's like, "Yeah, there's nothing going on." 
I'm telling it's you, super depressing. A couple of weeks ago, it was shoulder to shoulder for a mile, you know? And yeah. then, Depends on which way the wind is blowing, though, right? Uh, it's water temperature, wind blowing, yeah, rain. Like, like a day like today, because it's just rainy and shitty and kind of chilly, this would be the night to be out there. If we didn't have work tomorrow, I probably would be. You know, if I was on afternoons tomorrow, I would be out there tonight. This would be a good night. Everything's going to be cooled off and easy to run in. Thinking about going up there Friday night. So maybe. We, me and Phil, we're talking about doing it again Friday night. It's, yeah, uh, that's, that's all depends. switch over weekend, too. He's got uh, he's on daddy duty a lot too, so I just got to play it by ear. But yeah, maybe he's about due for a podcast visit. Phil. Yeah, I want to do I want to do a food one, you know, with yeah. you guys. Yeah, I'll sit back and watch fish fry or something. He wants to do a fish fry. Yeah, he knows we got white bass meat. I got the uh, famous Duke's beef recipe. Oh, really? So I'm gonna be tackling that on Tuesday. Oh, call nice. me when you call me when you get the pops one. Then I'll be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> The Dukes one. Yeah, I stole it out of a gas station. Can you believe that? No, I texted the guy that used to own Dukes, and he filled me in. So, hmm. shout out to Bud. Anything from you, Bill? Pretty standard week? Pretty standard work week. Uh, not really much to report. This weather sucks. Hey, you can boost that chair up so you're not doing that. There's a little can lever really? on the side. Yeah, here. Oh, I got one more little thing before we get to the news. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I've set my truck up to be a camper. Like, the actual bed of the truck is now a little camper. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Well, you're getting married. That that'll come in handy, you know, on those, <laughs> yeah. on those nights when you're not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but those no, I'll come to camp anywhere. Those happen. Oh yeah, I'm 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 still thinking I might put a cap on. I just can't believe how expensive caps are. But I'd like to put a cap on. Well, you can go rattle. find them on um, Facebook Marketplace for nothing. I gotta go. I gotta find a rattle. I get out fishing this morning with Nick. We were out trying to do some northern stuff, and then checking those trail cameras. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? The other thing, too, I, be, I bet you could find a bunch of people that have Tacomas that are getting rid of their caps. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like a painter, thing. I know a guy that can paint it, so. Yeah, I don't want to. He's a real busy guy. What was rattling? I don't know yet. It's been raining all day. I can't. Like, I got to lay it down and figure it out. I'm hoping it's just a heat shield on a catalytic converter. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, it's on your truck. Yeah. Oh. Rattling like hell. Hmm. Um, that's all I got. We can move into the news real quick. Do you got anything? Uh, I just I was reading an article about Bobcats. I'm not going to cite the article. No specific information. This is but Pat they, coming prepared again. They did a super uh, detailed um, look at how the Bobcats are moving north, and they're saying it's getting exponentially. So, like up here where we're at in like northern Illinois, you're going to start seeing a lot more Bobcat activity in the next five six years. I've never seen a Bobcat in real life. Me and my dad saw one. He I pointed at it. Remember in Hayward? Yeah, I never. I looked. You know, you point. It's over there, and I looked. Gone. Didn't, it was gone. See it. it was gone by the time I got done telling them it was over there. Really? Yeah. Like ninety yeah. percent of the sightings are trail cameras. Yeah. Yeah. They're elusive. They don't want to be seen. They move at night, kind of things, aren't yeah. they? So, all right. I got a wolf desk over to the wolf desk, Wisconsin wolf desk. So, Wisconsin wolf hunters would face tighter regs under new permanent rules. So, you will uh, now only have eight hours to register a killed wolf instead of 24. And that's because of that window that they closed up on. They closed a window for wolf hunt, remember? And they ended up killing 100 extra. Yeah. So, now they tighten that up. Um, Good. Yeah. And hunters will only be able to train their dogs to track wolves during the wolf season. So there's none of this, like, all summer you get your dogs ready to track wolves. Like, you know, like raccoon hunters outside of seasonal training, yeah. they'll just tree a raccoon and then leave. And you can't do that for wolves. You got to do it during season. Yeah, because they'll be out there pushing them around. Who cares about raccoons? They're going to be everywhere all the time. But wolves are just going to be pushing them around. And you're not allowed to destroy wolf dens anymore. And it's still a six-dog limit. So you can only use six dogs to chase them. Oh, so. man. I only got five. <laughs> Um, that was, uh, I don't know if I said it, Wisconsin State Journal, and then Burlington, Plattsville, 
Uh, a pair of dams, the Indian Falls and uh, Friedenburg, are being removed on the Saranac River. This is going to Lake Champlain. Uh, the goal is to get salmon all the way to Kent Falls for the first time since the Revolutionary War. Wow. There is still the Imperial Dam downstream, but a fishway. You ever see those goofy fishways they make? They're no. like, yeah. It's almost like a conveyor belt stair system on the side of a dam to get <laughs> yeah. that fish can... Yeah, I don't know how well they work. Really? I suppose they work, but I don't, I don't know how well. It's just yeah. like those animal overpasses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard those work, though. I mean... I just, I just, working. I just no, picture like an elephant crossing over I-80, you know. And like looking like, hmm, yeah. this is a good spot. No matter what you make, it's not going to be like the real deal. Right. Where there's just nothing there ever. Right. So, yeah, the fishway is being made on that dam that's further downstream. So, the dams uh, used to be used for hydropower, but they no longer do that, so they're getting rid of them. Uh, this will make for better water recreation, too. So, no no portages. I don't know. The last week, Dad, we were talking on the Fox River. They're getting rid of nine dams. They were, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers came through. They got I still got all my Including St. Charles and Geneva. Really? All, the only one that wasn't on the list was Yorkville. <laughs> and I think they're leaving that in for the Asian carp thing. What does that do to the chain of lakes? Those those are naturally there. Those have nothing to do with dams. But yeah, so Carpentersville, Elgin, South Elgin, St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia, North Aurora, and Montgomery. Oh yeah, or Aurora and North Aurora. Did North you know Aurora. that the only natural or the, the only unnatural part of the Fox Lake chain, like the the, the chain of lakes, is uh, the channels that go between them. Everything other than that is natural. I've never I been did on not them. know that. I, I thought they were even been up there. I'm supposed to be on them in uh, two weeks. I'm supposed to be out there. Yeah. yeah. I thought the channels that go between them was the Fox River itself. No. 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 They they basically just carved <laughs> canals in between them so you can go from one lake to the next. I got to go up there one of these days. I've never been there. It's expensive. It's yeah, expensive. It's a lot of jet skis and uh, yeah. pontoon boats. Yeah. When you're out there in the summer, it's dangerous. After Labor Day, it's okay. Yeah. You should be okay. It's like Webster. Uh, oh, it's worse than Webster. Really? Because okay. like a buddy of mine that runs cigarette boats, he goes on these poker runs up there. So imagine 50 cigarette oh, boats flying by. You. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. There's a lot of water up there. So is that it for the news? Yeah. Any Bushlight Billies you want to do? Uh, it's been kind of a slow Bushlight Billies mm. uh, lately. Yeah. Other than the chili cook-off. Other than the chili cook-off, which I didn't even make chili for. But I think I'm going to make chili today because it is perfect chili day outside. This is chili it's weather. shitty weather. How would you guys enjoy judging? I it was judging. different, yeah. It was cool. It was uh, uh, one of the ladies, ki- one of the kids. They were like little kids, you know, five and six and whatever they were, I however know, old they are. Um, but they were like bringing us cups of chili and then taking all the, the bowls away and everything. So me and Jim were like, "Oh, we're getting good service." We gave them a couple of bucks. They're like, <laughs> "You got money?" Yeah, we heard that we gave the one girl. Bill gave her a five. I gave her a couple of singles, and she ran around a corner where we couldn't see her. And we heard another girl said, "You got money." And they, came, <laughs> they came right back. Do you guys need anything? Are you ready for chili? Yeah. And then there was like three girls that came up we haven't seen yet. <laughs> hey, do you like Capri Sun? Yeah. I was thinking about it. We're sitting there starving, and then finally we started judging. And then on the way home, we we're like, "Man, I ate a lot of chili." It's like you don't think you do, but they bring you a half a bowl of chili. Eight times, yeah, you know, four so, bowls of chili. Then I had three more on top of that. Yeah, you know, they, they came out the same way they went in, though, right? Jim actually tried chicken chili. I will say, and I he enjoyed was a judge. it. Judge, I didn't, ha- I had to. And chicken chili should not be a chili. Just saying, but it was really good. It was so. good. It was pretty good. Just like somebody had jalapeno cornbread. Just like what a way to crap up cornbread, man. I don't know. I like jalapeno. Yeah, but yeah, I, don't oh, really I like, like ice cream though. and I like pizza, but I don't like pizza ice cream. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> Yeah, you've never tried it, I'll bet you. (laughs) (laughs) No, Chili Cook-Off was a good time. Benny was a a huge hit. Um, 
Yeah. But Benny's a huge hit wherever he goes. He's he passed out after like, he got passed to like fifty people, and then finally he went back to Cal and just out fell asleep, crashed in her arms, like passed out. That like, kid's gonna break about seventy five thousand hearts. In we, his day. we were talking that quietly around him, and finally we weren't, and he still didn't wake up. He was he was gone. We were just like yeah. talking like this, you know. <laughs> That's good. I got the I got a one picture of it. Well, you never realize like how much like something big like that going on like just sucks their energy away because they're 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 actually. Oh yeah, there you go. He's just completely passed out on her. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know they're they're using so many of their senses that they don't normally use when they're just chilling at home. Yeah, they're you know in like I mean? sensory overload. Their now. eyes are wide open. They're yeah. s- smelling. You know what I mean? There's so dogs running around. Kind of like taking a long drive, even though you're doing nothing, you're still. Yeah, burning a lot of energy in terms of like your brain power trying to yeah. see this, see that. I so. agree. So anyway, we're talking we're talking sharpening things. You want to move into this? Yeah, yeah. So um, here we have a world class knife sharpener. He does it every day. Worldly known, you know. Uh, he uh, he's probably the most practiced knife sharpener. Yeah, that I know. Yeah, I give it's, I give you all my knives to sharpen. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, in fact, the test we all use to see if a knife is sharp is we shave a little hair off the hand. It's yeah, like, whoosh, one currently swipe. I have several bald spots on my left arm. Yeah, I've got if a couple. If it takes two swipes, you got to keep sharpening. One swipe, we're good, you know. Yeah. And you want you want one hair per movement, so. Yeah, he's sharpened my fillet knife, and I'm willing to bet that those fish are just going to get filleted without the knife even touching them. They're going to be so <laughs> scared of this thing. Yeah, so me and Pat tried covering this. Two years ago, maybe. Yeah, about two years ago now. And we hit uh, most of the high points, but I wanted to actually be like, no, 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 don't do that, or you know, I got a bunch of questions I'll ask you, and see what you know what you think, kind of thing, kind of an interview, if you will. So, anything you guys want to start with? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, do you have it all structured on your sheet there? Just a bunch of random stuff, yeah. Um. So the thing I was going to ask is, so I got a knife from my grandpa's house, and I'm not your son, obviously. Um. And I want to sharpen it up. What's step number one? So Duller I, than now. I, I, I put in which stone to start with. What's If somebody new to this, brand new to this, what is the first stone to tell them to get? If it were me, I'd say get you know rough diamond stones. There's, yeah. there now there's, there's a couple of different worlds out there. There's the, there's the water stones. Don't confuse that with wet stones. Wet is spelled W-H-E-T. Yeah. All stones are wet stones, I guess you could say. So there's water stones, and they seem to be the real common thing, like if you're watching YouTube and that. Then there's oil stones. That's what I kind of prefer as a finishing thing. And those are two kinds of them. There's man-made, like they call them India stones. It's really aluminum oxide. And then there's, in that same family, there's natural stones, Arkansas stones and that. That's the white one. Well, there's there's different there's all different grades and colors. Okay. But uh, the real white ones are called the translucent because you can actually shine light through them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because remember <laughs> I got that one. It was just like that. It was a real coarse stone. I don't even use it because it just drinks oil. You put oil on it. You put the oil down. Grab your knife and you look, and the oil's gone. Right. But underneath came with a little. What I, I would assume is an Arkansas stone. It's like mm-hmm. it's snapped up into the. I'm trying to think of the brand. It's yellow. It's got a yellow base. You know, is the it one, Smiths or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, it might not be a true Arkansas stone, but it is fine. It is super fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you got that. Uh, I let the diamond stones do the work because you have to be able to, you have to have access to things to resurface any of the natural stones. The average guy doesn't. I sweep up grinding grit off the floor, and that's what I use to 
resurface my stones, you know. Yeah. In the the water stone world, they do make stones that you can use to take the the belly out of these stones, the hollow out of these stones, because you're they they wear a lot. Well, you could even tell, like, uh, because I have the I, the one thing I would, if anybody ever asked me which one to start with, remember you turned me onto that four sided uh, diamond stone from Harbor Freight. It's mm-hmm. like twelve dollars, and it came with that thing you could put on the table. Um, but when you every I clean that often. But if you looked like you could definitely tell where you're scraping a knife most of the time. Like the one side of the stone never gets a blade touch to it, you know, and then the middle gets like trenched out. And yeah. Luckily, diamond doesn't wear like that, but I could definitely see on a stone. Remember, we were kids. We you used to go outside on the one patio, and swirl them around. And I, we assumed he was resurfacing. You remember? You know what I'm talking yeah. about? That's what I was just talking about. Yeah. Okay, so you put a dust between the stone. I put uh, yeah, grinding <laughs> grinding wheel grit. Okay. On the ground. One okay. of these days, I'm going to experiment and see if salt works. You know, like a coarse sea salt or something. Okay. Sand does not work. Sand is little round ball particles, like ball bearings. You want something that's sharp and gouges the stone out and resurfaces. It you're doesn't gonna, last long. You're going to waste good salt on that? <laughs> well, no. I So I, I was at Bass Pro, and I actually got a brand new whetstone. And it you, you'd put a knife down this thing, and you would hit high spots, little tiny high spots from where they molded it. And it's just like, that would be perfect. And we, we actually did that at your house with aluminum oxide, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, it you would think, oh, well, it's dulling the stone, right? No, it's getting those high spots out. And now you have many more abrasions through your swipe than you did before. Right. See, any abrasive is relying on sharp, jagged edges. Like if you talk about a grinding wheel, everybody yeah. knows about grinding wheels. When you dress them, you're not just flattening them and truing them. You're actually gouging material out to expose new sharp particles. Those particles, when that needs to be done again, people might think, well, the wheel got clogged up and it needs to be done. That could be true, but really, those particles got dull for the most part. And you have to gash them out to expose new sharp particles. And that's what the surfacing on the stones does. Yeah, because like uh, I think where you work, they used to have those tools hanging from a chain. Uh, from yeah, there. I do it all the time. Yeah, and threw them up, and yeah, throw we, sparks everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with the stone, but an absolute beginner, would you say diamond is a safe bet, right? Yeah. And then uh, as you learn going to different stones and whetstone, what, what out of all the stones, other than diamond, what's the best stone to own? Uh, India, in my opinion, at uh, uh, like a three hundred and fifty grit india is that a white stone or it's an oil stone okay okay so just honing oil we're just talking honing oil honing oil uh it's like the equivalent of a 10 weight oil something like that so how many how many stones total would would somebody that wanted to be good at this how many stones total would they have to own you think well, you know how aficionados are. They can get a little crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, like, but like for me. Cause bare, like, bare minimum? Yeah, bare minimum. So, I mean, you got you because you got the, let's say you got that four-sided one. Yeah. That starts off at like 200 grit. Yeah. You know, you could, I mean, that thing's, it's almost harder to sharpen. It's so coarse. Yeah. But then I go all the way down to that. I think, of, what, what was that? An 8,000 grit stone I got here? Remember the one you I handed you? Blue or Norton? Norton. Remember that one gray stone I got here? Yeah, that's. I think that's like three fifty or something. Oh, is that? Oh wait, you had one on your own that I don't think I ever saw, but I've seen those gray ones before. Yeah, and I thought it was an eight thousand grit. You know, I go all the way. Th- was it a water stone? It might wa- be. I water don't... stones go in the thousands like that. Oil stones typically don't. Oil stones. It's almost like you can add a zero to the end of a uh, oil stone reading, and you. Get... I don't. Yeah, those are fine. So, how many stones sold do you think? 
I would say if you want to get yourself started and not drive yourself nuts, I'd say get like four stones. You yeah, know? That's, a, that's about what I guess about four. Because yeah. I, I look at what I mainly do. If you you know if you take a if you take aside the ones that you don't flip over and stuff like that that because there's one two, three and then a strop and a steel and all that so we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, about four. Now, any any favorite brands you recommend? Norton. Norton. Okay, so that's what I got. I got the one. Yeah, that is that's my favorite stone to use. Other than my that diamond one you gave me, that Norton's my favorite one to use. Yeah. So what's that one that you got at a flea market that you gave you gave me one and I, I don't know if you gave did he give you one the uh, one with the rubber base on the bottom where you clamp it together the this the diamond one the right? diamond one yeah it's a four thousand grit and uh it's a one thousand and a three fifty thousand and yeah a thousand and a three hundred uh the second one the one that you got most recently I think it's a four hundred and a one thousand say four hundred's mine yeah <clears throat> what, what brand is that. That's the Chai Coms. Yeah. <laughs> Chai <Com. laughs> it, I use it all the time. That, that's how I, love I, that song. I actually put the flay knives on it when they need to and stuff like that. I, I think that that's a super good beginner stone. They give you a lot of bang for the buck. You can buy the American DMTs for $80 or you can buy that one for 20 Okay. You know, and I use it all the time. I got a million miles on mine. I yeah. love it. So, all right. So we kind of covered stones here. So, what would be the best knife to start with? Like if somebody says, hey, I, I just want to sharpen something, what should I start with? Something short because you get a, it's, there's a whole new set of, a new can of worms with longer blades. You know? Big time. I noticed that sharpened fillet knives. You get a seven-inch fillet knife, and that's totally right. different. My kitchen so I, knives. I would say, and then your modern day, you guys always tease me about having grandpa style pocket knives with the smaller blades in that yeah those were actually called 19th century pocket knives 19th century style pocket knives you guys like the new stuff with the blades this wide which are called tactical yeah they you can flip them open and stuff real quick and all those are but those are easy to easier to visualize when you're sharpening because they're bigger so an angle on a bigger Knife is easier to see than something very tiny. Yeah, that makes sense. You mean like a like a wider, like blade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I don't know if you want to get into steels, different kinds of steels. Like what makes a what makes a good knife, good steel, good steel for a knife or a bad? You know what's a what's a knife you'd stay away from if you can get the specs on a knife? What it's made out of? To the end user, the most important criteria is the hardness of the blade, which is measured in. <clears throat> uh, there's a scale called a Rockwell C, yeah, hardness scale. It goes from 0 to 100. Really, it's not effective in the lower ranges, like I, what's Rockwell 15. I, I, I don't think you could actually find something like that. But 100 is a diamond. That's the top of the scale. It's a diamond, it's the, the hardest. hardest thing known to man. Yeah. And typically, your tool steels for knives, uh, I think Buck comes in about 57. Oh, okay. I, a I lot of them come in about 53. Uh but to the end user, like Buck uses, to the steel snobs, Buck uses an inferior steel. They use a 420, a 420 high-carbon steel. But their heat treat is what makes them. Mm, okay. They've got a special heat treat process with cryogenics, which is deep freezing and stuff after you heat treat. Yeah. And their stuff's hard. And that's, you know, if you could have bad steel that was hardened and it's better than good steel it isn't you know what i mean yeah right so the bucks are good knives bucks are hard to sharpen too are they yeah, that's you, you that's, scrape them a lot that's you know? a 420 high carbon steel with their patented or their privileged bows heat treating or bars i don't know how you say it 
But uh, they advertise, I think, 57 Rockwell on there. And that's, wow. that's good. And now, if it's a loaded question if you want to go to stainless versus carbon, too. Is yeah. it, do you want to go there or not? I, if, if you think it's pertinent, yeah. I mean, if it's important, <laughs> I know. For the longest time, all they had was carbon steels. And then starting, like, in the 1950s, they started branching into stainless steels. Stainless steels have a lot of chrome, at least 13% chrome. Coefficient of friction on chrome is one-third less than steel. So they have a tendency to slide around on a stone rather than dig in. And so sharpening stainless is an easy, easy four or five times as hard as a carbon steel blade. And, of course, the wider the land, that you're, the, the little bevel that you're putting on, that becomes exponentially worse with stainless over carbon. So, and now... To further complicate it, they've got these blended steels that are like, uh, you hear a CPM, and that stands for crucible powdered metal. So they got a bunch of recipes with that. But if, if, if you want to use your pocket knife to eat, a, eat the occasional apple and cut food and stuff like that, I'd go with stainless. Otherwise, I'm kind of old school and, and want carbon. Carbon's is definitely easier to sharpen. You got me this night. Do you know if this is stainless? That is stainless. Yeah. This one's, that's, this that's, one's pretty hard to sharpen, too. That's 8. There's another, if you notice, that says 8 CR13 MOV on it, I think. Uh, not where I can read Somewhere. It, okay. Maybe on a box this somewhere? This one says, like, K-A-R patented or something. But anyway, I'm yeah. holding the CKRT. What do, do you remember the model off this knife? I carry it every day. It's my favorite knife ever. Yeah, I forget it. Isn't it on there? There's a 7904... O-R-E. No, this, this has like a, a, a figurative name. Hammond Cruiser. Hammond Cruiser. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. The Hammond Cruiser. Yeah, so that's what I carry every day. And I've tried putting this on the stone, and you can immediately feel how much harder this is than like a cheaper knife I'll carry at work or something. Because yeah. like it really digs in. Um, but yeah, so, it, so do you think, is stainless easier to sharpen than carbon? No, no. Stainless is a minimum of four or five times as hard to oh, sharpen. Oh, okay. So stainless is harder than carbon, and but not difficult. not harder. Yeah, more difficult. Difficult. Yeah. It could it could actually be softer than the carbon steel that you're talking about, but it's still harder to sharpen because it contains a lot of chromium. The coefficient of friction with chromium is one third worse than steel, or one third one. Well, one third less than steel. Okay, so it has a tendency to slide around. Because it, it defies friction. Friction is the essence of how you sharpen, right? You're scratching something on a stone, the friction So the stainless does the work. has one-third the friction of the carbon. And it you know just kind of glides it, along. It'll yeah. glide right over without getting metal taken off. So, right. right. What holds an edge better? But if you, if you wanted to sharpen a knife and not have to be touching this thing up all the time, what would hold an edge better? I like carbon. But again, it's a loaded question because they have some proprietary blends of steel today. And then you get into the powdered metal family. It's another can of worms. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that will swear that some of the modern stainlesses hold an edge better. I've seen porcelain like kitchen knives, too. Yeah, do you know anything know. about those? Yeah, you can't, you can't hold an edge. I, when you try to sharpen them yeah. and you try to get as acute of an a- angle on it as I like, yeah. no, there's nothing. They just kind of crackle up and go away. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured. I figured this thing's just going to crack if I drop it, you know, shatter it. I know pieces. a guy that cooks with those. Yeah. That's all he'll buy is a ceramic knife. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. he's not into sharpening either, you know. So yeah. That's the one thing I always wondered. When you get a ceramic knife, can you sharpen it? I didn't even know if it was possible. I tried on a diamond, and I, oh, 
all it did was, you know, flake away on me. <laughs> but if if you put more of a obtuse angle on than I like, you know, I like a sharp edge. If you put a wider angle on, like an axe. So could it be yeah. that ceramics just more naturally abrasive, and you can't you can't hone it down to a level? No, you can. That has less asperities. You can. But it's not strong enough to hold itself together. So no, no, no. What, what I'm saying is, like, even if you had the dullest ceramic knife in the world, it would still be an abrasive surface because it's very hard to polish over like a steel blade is. Right? Is that why ceramic knives are famous? You know, like no, the they're famous for whatever angle they start with has less of a tendency to wear from that point. I gotcha. But it's is it a sharp angle that I want to slice tomatoes with? No. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um. All right, so pretty much, pretty much the best thing to start with is a small, cheap knife, something small, a little mm-hmm. pocket folder, you know, mm-hmm. just Swiss Army knife style blade, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, so then if you just had a ballpark, it somebody really wants to get dialed in and be good at it, and just you just got a ballpark, it. But how much do you think somebody's going to spend to get started buying stones just to get good at this? I mean, if you were to go out and buy the stones that you recommend for a starter to buy, what could they expect to spend? If you buy those Chinese stones and watch. Uh eBay in that <clears throat> you can get some good double-sided stones in holders for 30 bucks okay the equivalent American one is 80 to 120 okay so you could do that uh, the Harbor Freight one you mentioned earlier I don't know what they are now 14 bucks and that's a it? four-sided stone I'd say it was it was less than 20 bucks so it was a lot less than 20 bucks yeah and, and I, that's all I really have at work yeah, I do have that's a, just I, fine I would, and me personally, I would call it an Arkansas stone, but it's like, I actually have one upstairs, but I have one at work too. It's the, one of the WorkSharp brand things, mm-hmm. but it's the, it's the white rod, ceramic rod that's in there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the finest one I use at work now. And it's a rod? It's a that, rod that can, in a plastic handle. I noticed I had a diamond stone, but it's real coarse. You wouldn't, you wouldn't use that for vinyl. It's aluminum oxide. That's what that, oh, that okay. white ceramic is, aluminum. Everybody calls it ceramic, but that ceramic is made out of aluminum oxide. I know what, if you... If you really sharpen up a knife and then run it on that, you have to clean that. That stuff gets dirty. How do you clean stones? I didn't mean to ask that. What's a good way to clean them? I always use the pressure his, washer. His ceramic stone that he's talking about, the white one? Yeah. You know, pencil eraser. I'd say I, oh, I usually really? take water and a shop rag and it comes clean. You can do that. You can use kitchen cleanser I used to use, but that might dull the ceramic. I'm not sure. But otherwise, you take a kid's pencil eraser. And you go through it and you clean it. Oh, really? It up. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it, and I do it often because I worry about it getting embedded to a point where you can't get it out of there because mm-hmm. it gets like thick. If you have something you really sharpened up and you get that dusty, coarse, like ridges that you can't really see but you can feel, it'll take those off and it'll be dark on there. Well, those are, uh, those are dry too, so they have a tendency to clog. Big if time. you, you're talking about cleaning stones, Bill, uh, one of the best things is prevention itself. That's yeah. why you would use. Water on water stones and oil on oil stones. The oil actually floats the particles, keeps the particles from actually embedding and sticking to the stone. Yeah. So that's what the stone is. Okay. Then I clean them in the laundry sink when I'm done. A lot of people just leave them wet with oil and that, but I, I clean them out. Yeah. And uh, ready for the next time. We so real quick, walking. I think there's one thing that we're missing here besides stones and stuff like that. When, when you start sharpening a knife, go over... The terms that people need to know, like, you know, you've got your blade, we, you, we talked about land, you know, mm-hmm. I think we should kind of move on to that so people get a basic understanding of what they're trying to achieve when they're actually sharpening a knife. Yeah. <clears throat> You're trying to get a consistent angle 
on both sides of the blade, obviously, but all along the edge of the blade as well. The angle is kind of an arbitrary choice when you're just learning. We're looking for equality. We're looking for symmetry, okay? So I'm going to give you an angle just to start you with, and that's 12 degrees. So you'd hold a knife in your left, in your right hand. You're right-handed, right? I hold a stone, and I hold a blade at approximately what I think is 12 degrees. And I look, and there's, you know, when the, when the knife is cocked on the stone, there's actually a gap between the back of the knife and the stone. Sort of memorize that gap. So all of a sudden, my, tra my angle isn't so much an angle anymore as it is a gap measurement. And I try to hold that gap measurement. And, of course, you do it on both sides, so it's equal. There's a, there's a way to measure the angle with trigonometry, too, someday if you really want to drive yourself nuts. I'll <laughs> tell you how to do it. But, uh, but what's the best way to, with, with uh, what you just said, with measuring a gap? You can't get too comfortable with that because when you get a wider blade, that gap's going to be... That gap's wider. Yeah. It, that's why I think people like the wider. They're just easier to sharpen in terms of your ability to recognize a gap and hold it. But, but the gap you, you memorize to look at mm -hmm. on your very first knife is going to be different mm -hmm. on every knife after that. No, when you first lay the blade on the stone, you're approximating an angle, and I suppose you got to be kind of good at knowing what that is. Yeah. But again, focus more on equality of sides than, than the actual angle. That was the problem I had because like, uh, I would overdo my left because of the coordination. Mm -hmm. So I'd sharpen it really good on my right and then not as good on my left, but I lasted longer on the left. So I was really getting like an angle like this on one and then an angle like this right. on the other. And the people that sharpen, again, I always say, go away. This is just me now. Stroke it going away. And then I, the, key, the key to my whole process that I do is I switch hands, which you just referred to. I, I finally started doing that because I never did. Well, most guys go this way with their right hand, and then they tip it back the other way and come this way. Well, I can't see that angle when, yeah. it's, when it's facing away from me. Yeah, you can't I see can, the back of the knife. Yeah, I can't see the back of the knife. Some people refer to that as their strong side, their best side. For me, it would be the worst because I can't mm -hmm. see it. So the first article I ever read, it was in one of the magazines, Field and Stream or Outdoor Life, and the guy was trying to be helpful and teach people how to sharpen a knife, a fillet knife in this case. And he says, I don't really know how to do it, but I'm going to guess. And he laid it on the stone. He says, now, you, you go forward with it as though you're trying to take a shaving slice off of the stone. And then he's the one that came up with the idea. Now you got to duplicate that on the other hand. Something will change hands. Well, that's what I've been doing since. That was 40 years ago. You know? Well, because you watch a lot of sharpening videos. A lot of people pull it, pull the edge. You know, like they, they'll take it and actually pull it towards them. You know, and instead of because like I do it the same way you do, push it. Because that's just the way we learn. But you watch a lot of videos, and these guys get these big swoopy pulling it towards you. That's that called edge trailing rather than edge leading, and it really doesn't matter. Okay. I find it to be more effective going forward. Uh, yeah, I seem to get more of a bite, and like I'm actually yeah. taking removing steel going forward versus pulling. Right. I'd have to agree, and that's just the way I've been doing it. I'm, maybe I'm just a creature of habit. I don't know. The other thing is how you lift up on the knife. Do you ever people tell you like on YouTube? Now you go forward, and when you when you get around the curvature, you start to lift up on the blade. Yeah, I do. Okay, well, how do you quantify that? How much do you lift up on the blade? Give me. Uh, a I kind of keep an eye on what's still touching up here, and just hope for the best that I'm close enough with my guess. You know, but because because I'll pick it up like that. Yeah, and you and you got it right. That, that that looks perfect to me. What you just did, the technical well, explanation. We, I used to do this. No, that's too flat. And then, well, so if you actually look, look at the one knife I carry at work, 
it's all shined up right here compared yeah. to back here because I was just swooping at one plane right, right off the end. And that's what those guide rod sharpeners do, like Lansky and that. They don't make provisions for lifting up on the end. But what's that curved that curved part of the blade? And everybody calls it a belly. The belly's curved like my belly, right? The real word for that isn't belly, it's the sweep. The curved part of the blade is the sweep. Now the sweep is a radius, an arc. I'm going to refer to it as radius. When you lay that radius at any point along the radius on the stone, you've got an arc touching the flat. That's called a point of tangency. When you want to know how much to lift up on the blade, visualize where the center of that radius is. It might be on your little two-inch long blade. That might be a six-inch radius. But you try and visualize where that center line is. And from the point of tangency as it lays on the stone, through the center line of that imaginary radius, of the, that you have to imagine as the center of the radius, that's supposed to be the same angle as the rest of your knife. So if you're into 12 degrees that day, you're transitioning from the straight, which is a, tr a true 12 degrees. And then when you get into the arc, you're actually, from the moment you're on the arc... You're actually lifting it up all the time trying to stay at 12 degrees from that point of tangency through the center line of the radius that represents the sweep on the blade. So I didn't give you numbers there, but I gave you concepts. So, but the, when, when you start going into the sweep then, you actually have less blade touching the stone at one point, right? Right. Because when you're doing just the straight part, yeah, and you're pushing. You got three quarters of this blade is sharpening. But right. then you start picking up, and it's like one point, one point, one right. point, all the way till you get to the tip. So pretty much like what I'll do is I'll actually spend a lot of time sharpening like that, and then mm -hmm. I'll actually just kind of work on the tip for That's a right. little bit. Well, you have to. A lot of people tell you, well, just count the strokes. You know, just good. you did 14 strokes on the left side, do 14 on the No, no. Trust your eye. Yeah, Look definitely. at it. Look at it and evaluate at every turn. If you were trying to... Figure out if a pool cue was bent or something. You'd look down it and you'd trust your eye, wouldn't you? Yeah, right. Well, you trust your eye for this too. <clears throat> and if something needs a little more focus or attention, or if your left side's not as strong as your right and therefore needs a little more, then that's what you do. And yes, the straightaway takes longer to do because you've got more. you've got more surface. That's why they came up with those stones that look perforated, those DMT stones that are yeah steel and like a bunch of islands of plastic and. That's because half the surface contact means twice the pressure. So they, they'll deal with straightaways better than anything else, really. Yeah, yeah when you're along that radius that is the sweep, uh, it's a single point contact, and you're able to penetrate and take more material off. You know? But here, hand me that one second. I don't know if I'm... So you're going along like this until the, ra until the radius starts, and then you begin to tip it. And at this tangent point here, let's say I got a tangent point running under, from there through to the imaginary center line of the blade that I have to kind of imagine, yeah. that's going to stay at your 12 degrees and ever changing, you know? We should do a video on this, Pat. Yeah, yeah we should do a video. Yeah, so should. for the listening on it, well, the only audience that we have, but um, he is taking the knife and he's actually, after he's done with this flat in, in his stroke, he actually picks up. If you were holding the knife as a right, well, I guess as any hand, he'd be picking up the pinky side of his palm. 
to try yeah, and to finish the, the round part of the end. You yeah. know, if that blade was st- perfectly straight, no point, you wouldn't have to do any of this. But we're talking about once you get start moving into the point, transitioning the point off the rest of the blade. You start picking the handle up. You don't just sweep it off to the right is what we're talking about. Yeah, and so at the very tip, your pinky would be at its highest point, if that's a good yep. way to try and right. exactly. say that. Um, so if your angle was too shallow, you'd be scratching the heel of your land and nothing else. If your angle was too sharp, too steep, you'd be scratching the very tip of the Yeah, land. you'd be blunting it off. Yeah. If you were to hold it up and look at the silhouette of that thing at the light, you'd you'd see it blunted off. So, so what were the stages you were talking about? Where were we at on this? Um, You're like, go through the... Oh, no. We're, we're, I, I wish... It, it's not even about a stage. Oh. Um, we're just trying to give the, the layman to the people who don't really know how to sharpen a knife and haven't looked at their knife long enough to think uh, about the land and you know the parts of a knife. So when we refer to them later in the podcast, they'll know what we're talking about. Because the one thing I was going to ask you is for, let's say let's say a pocket knife, a fillet knife, and an axe. Mm-hmm. Just for reference, what are the best angles for like a fillet knife? What what would you sharpen a fillet knife angle to? I'm one of those guys that says sharp is sharp, which means it's just more or less the same angle for everything. Okay. Oh, even like an axe. I mean, you yeah. put a 12-degree angle on it, first time you hit something that's not perfect, it's going to be dull. 12 degrees is going to be 24. That's another thing, too. We should touch on that. You'll hear this all the time, people talking about what angle do I put it on, what angle. You have to understand, are we talking about one edge, how much you're cocking the blade for one edge, or is it the included angle that is inscribed by both edges? That's, okay. what, I, that's yeah. what I've always assumed. Okay. The, which... the included angle is double. Well, the other one, if, if you hold your knife for 12 degrees, it will, on both sides, it will produce a 24-degree angle. Over the, okay. Overall, yeah. And if you had a 45-degree land, you would actually have a 90-degree when you looked at it from the... No, down. if you had 45, if, if, if you cocked it on 45, you'd have a 90. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, to, you have to be on the same page in any discussion about, hey, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about per side? And that's how you refer to that. Per side or included. Per okay. side or included. And that's that's real important to understand because people will be talking in skewed directions about this very same thing. One, I didn't even one think guy's, about that. One guy's thinking of included angle. The other guy's thinking per side, you know. Yeah. But an axe, the regular angle on an axe, to answer your question, is 25. Blunt axes, like when the, somebody's double-sided axes, they want a rough side too that's for grubbing, for hitting the ground and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Chopping roots in the ground. That's 32. But the precision side is 25. The other side is 32. Okay. Mora, you know, everybody knows what Mora is, right? The Mora Niv, yeah. Okay. They. It's those plastic sheath knives you get for. They're, they're, they're the best bang for your buck knife in the world. They're $15. Super thick-bladed survival. Sharp, sharp right out of the box. Oh, they're, okay. what, they're Swedish or Finnish or something, aren't they? Swedish. But those are 11 and a half degrees per side, which gives you a 23-degree included angle. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you buy the heavy-duty version, they up that by 2 degrees per side. It's 13.5 degrees per side, which gives you a 27-degree included. Those nice he's talking, is they're sub-$20, and they are the best money. M-O-R-A? Best. Uh, yeah. Mora Kniv, K-N-I-V. Yeah. That's buy them on Amazon, they're less than 20 bucks. Man, and I own, I probably own, I don't know, three of them. I got them all over the place. I own a bunch, too. If you want to think about a land, the Mora has a gigantic land compared to any other knife because of how thick they are. And so the giant land is because of the thickness of the blade. The thickness of the blade makes the knife so much stronger. It doesn't bend 
perfect for survival type situations. Most people are right. going to call that the spine or the backbone of that knife, right? That's what you're referring to. This like part the, back yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you would call that the spine of a knife, what's what are you saying the actual name of this part is? Land. No, 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 the land is the width of the bevel. That is the edge. Oh, okay. So that little that little shiny part that you created with the stone, that's called a land. Oh, okay. I thought you meant back here. When you were referring to how big it was, I thought you meant this section of the knife. No, when no, I was well, when I was referring thick. to how wide it was before, it was this. Yeah. Okay. And that's easier to see that angle than it is on a small Swiss no, Army. No, I'm talking about what Pat was just talking about. Because like, I know what he's talking about with, when you're when you're sharpening a, a Mora. It's it's same thing with like a uh, straight razor. It's kind of a pain because I would call it the spine is so thick. So you can not you can only get it so far down. Right. And they use, you know what they do? This is really stupid in my opinion. That's called a Scandi grind, Scandinavian grind. And you'll hear people one after the other echoing each other that this is the ultimate blade for wood. And it's so easy to sharpen. Well, it's not the ultimate blade for wood, and it's harder than hell to sharpen. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I'm actually very when I'm when I'm making kindling with a mora, it flies off. I do. I I think those are the easiest knives for making kindling. Really? I, oh, I put it that's in there. True. But I use a, when I'm making kindling, I got a two hand deal. Like that sticks down. And I'm holding up and I'm mm-hmm. pushing, and those things just come flying off. Chips come flying off. Well, that's what's but, good about those knives is the spine is so wide. That it won't hurt your finger all the time to be pushing on the very and spine it just of the knife. it splits it like the back of that is so is so big it's not like it doesn't make like a flay that come it closes around the stick itself it actually like pushes it off yeah that's because that blade is parallel everywhere except for the edge that's why they get a real wide edge out of it okay now you're supposed to sharpen those by rights most of those you'll see on YouTube being sharpened on water stones yeah not wet stones. They're all whetstones, but you know what I'm saying? Water stones, Japanese water stones. And because amateurs can lay those down on that land, and it sits right down on it. It feels right. Yeah, because it's so wide. It's so wide, it sits on there. And they're claiming that's what makes it easy to sharpen. No, not really. There's still a lot of work. you got to take that whole land down. Yeah, you got to take Compared a lot to that, more metal off. you got to take a lot more metal off because of the width of that land compared to another blade like you have. I got you, yeah. So, and then, too, after three or four sharpenings, you're going to lose that angle that they put on there that you're claiming is so wonderful to retrace, you know. So, eventually, you're kind of on your own anyway. You might as well learn how to hold it at the correct angle. So, 12 degrees, 24 overall is, like, ideal. Just, like, stick with that number and you'll do all right. Yeah. Broadheads, too, Pat? Buck used to say, Buck used to say 10. I don't think, that, I think they were guessing there. Case used to say 15, somewhere right in the middle. I like. I gotta um, look at broadheads. I think they're even slimmer than that. I think they are too. They're like more like a razor blade because they're the same thickness as a knife, but the land's so much longer. Do you have any idea what the, what the angle on a razor blade is by chance? I don't know. Um, I'm gonna guess and say that it's. I'm gonna say it's six degrees included, which means three degrees per side. But I could be all wet, you know. Yeah. I could. I could tell by trigging it out. Sometime I'll get a razor blade and do that. I think what makes them incredibly sharp is the thinness of them. You oh, know, yeah. they're just so thin. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's not necessarily that it's just an awesome edge. It's it just, just glides through stuff. They're just thin. There's nothing to them. And when they you look at them, with a sharp hair. For the blade being so thin, the land is so wide. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I say it's probably like, yeah. It's probably like three degrees per side. So when is, you look at the knives that he went and kind of changed the angle on, if you were to look at it from a brand new knife out of the factory, the land would be very thin. And then when he changes it, the land is super wide, and the reason the land is super wide is because he changed the angle. Now, when you change the angle and make it, uh, you know, less, 
um, you're actually making that land a lot longer. So stuff that has, just in general terms, stuff that has a wider land has a... Um, shallower angle. Shallower angle, yeah. Acute, more acute, if you like that word. Yeah, acute, yep. Um, so moving on from there with the angles, do you want to... I'll tell you what, let's start with this one first. Sharpening wheels. I know you don't own one, right? You still don't own a, an actual... I own that one that I freehand. It's a, it's a water grinder. So what's your opinion on sharpening wheels? If somebody says, I want to skip the hand thing, I just want to get a wheel. Is that, I mean, is that a good idea, bad idea? No, those Tormek sharpeners, now you've got a Tormek clone. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. And there's jigs and fixtures for sharpening other things like scissors on them and just about everything. I got scissors. So, I got even. I got a wood chisel one for, mm-hmm. you know, like my lathe. I actually sharpened up my lathe ones, my mm-hmm. wood lathe on those. Um, but nothing's automatic. There's still some skill involved in getting the left side like is same as the right side, and you know. I don't think it's uh, after you try and I tried to. I think my mora actually one of my mores. It was my mora. It was my orange one. Um, I tried sharpening on that thing. I, knives just aren't that practical on that wheel. I think for everything else that needs an edge, it'd be great. But I bet you, I it, I think by hand is better with a knife than or a stone than a wheel because of like all the like arcs in it. You just like you got to hold this thing on a jig and you got to hold it all the right way, and then you're swinging this thing on the wheel and you're trying to keep it even, and you just kind of lose like quality control of what you're doing. And yeah, and the and those those jigs they give you for the knives they work optimally on wider blades. Definitely. If somebody gave you a little Swiss Army blade to do, you couldn't do it. I don't even think it would, I honestly don't think it would work because like the bite that it takes. Let's say it's like this, and then the blade comes out a little bit more. Like the jig would hit the wheel before the right. edge would. Right. So yeah, you would need something a lot wider of a knife for it to be efficient. Have you seen those ones where the, you clamp it? You, you you clamp the fixture yeah. to the to your counter. You see them all over Instagram right now. Yeah, I bought one because it was cheap. It was like twenty bucks. Got a guide rod on it. Does yeah. It, okay. So you, you you set it there. Oh. So you clamp it to your 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 countertop, and then you you take like a rod that you screw in, and then it's like a you you clamp down your knife to it, and then you you set your phone on there, and you get a a, a protractor, get get your angle and everything, mm-hmm. and then it's just like one sweeping motion. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I thought it was terrible. I was. I could never get it to work. And if you had to get an amateur up and running in a day, that's the tool you'd use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a problem with it when you get out to the end. Remember, you talked about flat sharpening, Jim. Yeah. When you get out to the end, both legs of that triangle grow because you're further away. Yeah. When that happens, the angle's more acute. So your point, your point angle is actually flatter and more acute yeah. than the rest of your angle yeah. when you use those guide rod sharpening, which is exactly the opposite of what you want. Right. You'll get a sharp knife, but you'll get a geometrically incorrect sharp knife because the tip will be, the the blade edge at around the tip will be less than the blade edge everywhere else. Right, right. So real quick, I want to, the ones that I was talking about that I saw on Instagram, uh, you you it's it's a magnetic base that's oh, set yeah, at a certain I saw this angle. One too. Yep. You you snap the knife to this magnetic base that's at a certain angle, and then there's this little barrel that rolls back and forth. And I know what you're talking about. And you've seen him? Yeah. yeah. What's the what's the I can already think of the one big downfall of that. What's the big downfall of that for you? Like what's the first thing that comes to mind that says, Well that won't do this. You know what I mean? Um I don't know. I don't exactly know what to say. I've never used them. They look like something that might wear. Do they are they wearing from the get go? Yeah. Uh, probably. I mean, I think it's just a piece of sandpaper. On I've a seen them that didn't have wheels, where they were just things that slid along with your knife. You know, the thing and that they, I can they think will of, wear. 
as a huge problem is the tip. Yeah. You're not you're not sweeping that arc. Right. No. It's just one one solid angle. You have to sweep and lift. Sweep and lift. Yeah. Well it's funny real quick too. So uh Dad bought us the butchering set for knives or for deer. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Yeah, this is funny. This is good. Um there was Christmas or birthday or something last year or the year before. And so you look at the picture, he hands you the box, and the picture is like a boning knife, and there's like a skinning <laughs> knife. I know where this is going. And there was a third knife. I forget what they called it in that kit. There was Cape. a third knife. Caper. Oh, okay. And then it was one of the hand sharpeners that had like the ceramic Vs in it. Like they sell those everywhere, you know? And on the picture, you literally took a Sharpie and X'd it out. <laughs> yeah. like, like I don't want them to know that this came that's with an, it. That's <laughs> an amateur's tool. So what, what do you call those sharpeners? Do you know like the like – the, industry name for them or anything or no i don't know some of them are carbide some of them are just hardened tool, tool steel that's harder than the knife but that angle that's in there if, if you sharpen your knife and you get a real acute angle v and you put it in that other thing which is an angle like this you're going to drag your knife through there and it's going to take chips off it's going to take the metal off and you're going to think wow we're really going to town <laughs> yeah no you are for a while the first time you sharpen the knife but you're making it a more Less a less acute angle than you want. It's not a sharp angle anymore. It's a blunt angle. Yeah, it's a yeah. wood chopping angle. But and something you know again. I I hate to use the word amateur, but that's really what it is. Yeah. So and so, but, and so that that thing was xed out. And I said, why is that xed out? And you're like, because I didn't want you using that, so I kept it. I took, he literally so he sharpened all the knives by hand. <laughs> He's so got a we barrel had full of these things. Yeah. And uh, so he sharpened them all, and then gave us the kit. And then, but he took the sharpener out, so we didn't use it. And he goes, I'll give it to you if you want it, but I don't want you using that on those knives. Who, did everybody ah. get theirs or not? No, yeah. I never got mine. Well, then I'll give you the, one. The sharpener. Oh, you mean I the actual I sharpener? I confiscated it. Yeah. 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 Did, you did I give you yours? <laughs> uh, yeah, you did, but I just, I kind of. Yeah, I don't, if you got somebody that Be wants careful. it. If, oh, if you, honestly, because I, I don't, I, I've never had a need for them. I've never had a need for them. I, I got stones in my toolbox at work. I have stones on Kel's kitchen counter here. I got stones, I got stones down here. So this is the big point I want to make. So. So uh, the vast majority of the people that are going to be listening to this are going to be thinking to themselves, why go through all this crap when I could just go to the store and buy one of these sharpers that we're talking about that already have the included angle and you just drag the knife through? What is the big downfall of those and the benefit of doing it by hand like we're talking about with the stone? They're the wrong angle. I mean, they're, they're, too, they're, they're not acute enough to be sharp. That's the main thing. And... You have to dwell on certain areas. You know, I told you before, look at your knife and dwell and say, well, okay, we need a little more here and a little more there. Yeah, They're kind of hard to dwell with, you know. Plus, they're not self-centering. So it's not going to give you a symmetrical V edge all yeah. the way down. New knives are never symmetrical, right? right? That's why we sharpen them. So you put them in those sharpeners. Sharpener isn't going to true it up. It's not. <laughs> if the right side's got more of a land than the left side, it's going to continue that way. Oh, so you're saying like like if if there were steps in the land where the angle kind of changed a little bit because it's not perfect right out of the factory, uh, that shape is going to be there for the life of the knife if yeah. you sharpen it that way. Yeah. yeah, that makes good sense. Buck has a good factory edge. I've always been happy. Buck does that. have a very good factory. They edge. do. They really do. So real quick, let's move into uh, how often and when do you sharpen? Like not not steel. We're going to get that in a second. But I say, how often should I have this knife on a stone? We say, figuratively speaking, you sharpen a knife once, and then you maintain thereafter. Now, in reality, there's a bunch of onces in your life, okay, on that knife. Yeah. <laughs> like, I sharpen our kitchen knives every nine or ten months. They're your mom's favorite knife. 
I sharpen that every nine or ten months, but I steal it hundreds of times in between. I probably steal it every day. I steal it. I steal our knives every time they come out. They get, before they go back, they're stealing strong. Right, yeah. and that's 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 wonderful. That's what you should do. So um, this is a perfect time to explain stealing. I think so. No, now we. So we're we're gonna no no no. I want to just I want to know how many times how often. Should you sharpen a knife? Like actually yeah. sharpen a knife? Well, it's it's usage dependent, like anything else. But uh, when it's when it's dull, I guess is the correct answer. When it will no longer respond to a steel, which is the next phase of your conversation. Yeah, because like the next. Okay, so let's move into that. The next thing I was going to say, Kel wanted. She actually told me to put this on the list. Is she was wondering about maintenance, and when she means maintenance, she means daily, monthly, yearly. Like what's run through that, and then now and then you can start addressing steels and straps and stuff. Well, if your knife, depending upon the steel that they're made of, you're going to come up with some interval that you consider optimum for sharpening. I said in my case with my Henkel's kitchen knives, nine, ten months I sharpen your mouth. The one that she uses all the time. There's knives in there that are five years since they've been sharpened. Yeah, right. But so whenever uh, she uses them, they get a little bit dull. I steal them up. I put them back in. When it no longer responds to a steel the way I want it to, we go to the stone again. So that's another first. Remember I told yeah. you you sharpen it once. Yeah. That's another once. And so whatever that interval ends up being for you, given your usage, given the steel that your knives are made out of, given the hardness of that steel that your knives are made out of, whatever that interval works out for you, you'll figure it out quick enough. Let's say every nine months just for the sake of conversation. So you do the every nine, ten months in that case. All right, so now uh, when it comes to steels, we're going to start with steels because that's usually what I do first too. But what, do they, what does somebody need to know about buying a steel? There's various – it's one of those you get what you pay for things like anything else in life. Uh, some of the steels they give you with those knife sets like the ones you guys got in your set, they're not my favorite by any stretch Mine of the imagination. So you go out, you lay down some coin, and you buy like Henkel's or somebody else, something made in either – Zoling in Germany or uh, Sheffield, England. They're the big ones. And you get a fine fluted, those those lines, those striations in there, though I call them flutes. So you get a fine fluted one. Uh, and you could tell by how they bite. If they bite good, then they're good. But the finer ones seem to bite better than the coarse ones. Sounds like it shouldn't be that way, but... Yeah, backwards. They, they, they bite, they just bite better because they're harder or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is probably a good time to just kind of explain what stealing does, because we haven't done that quite yet. Bit. Uh, so so stealing. This is the you taught me this. I'm pretty sure he thinks you taught him this. I think I taught him this. I'm pretty sure you taught me this. I'm pretty sure you taught both of us this. Jim just thinks he taught me this. Uh, if you were to fold your hands together, uh, like a kid in uh, church. I'm telling you, we said we had the same conversation last time we did this episode. Yeah, we did. All yeah. right. So right. You, you've got your you've got your fingertips pointing straight up to the sky. As you use your knife, the your fingertips. You're, you know, imagine doing this if you're sitting there listening to the podcast. You're folding your hands and now you're crossing your fingers inside of each other, and your fingertips are rolling over, and that edge is kind of dull. But your fingertips are the what would you call that? The your fingertips are the very edge. Yeah, you have to you have to visualize them coming together in a perfect form. Yeah, in which they don't, but. You have to visualize that. And as you use them, they fold over like you're crossing your hands and right. you're actually like folding them like this. There's people who probably think knives chip, edges chip, and that's why we sharpen them. No, they really don't chip. Not usually. They can. They roll. 
They fold over. So all the way down the knife, you have this series of foldovers, some to the left, some to the right, you know, and it's, it's just uh, the edge is totally misaligned now. Your edge is still there. A lot of people think your edge is gone. No, your edge is still there. It just rolled over to the left. It rolled over to the right, etc. So the steel is the tool that resets them, that realigns them. <clears throat> That's what they call it, realigning the edge. That's what a steel does. Mm -hmm. So, so my analogy when I said this is for any like Catholic school kids out there, you'd be sitting there in church like this, you know, be it would be a school mass in the middle of the week, and Father Paul walks by and he wants your hand. So you got your hands, your fingers interlinked and pointing down, and Father Paul would walk by you and give you that scowl, and then you'd have to straighten your fingers up and point them up to heaven, is what he'd always tell us. And that's what you're doing is you're bringing your fingers back to pointing to heaven. That's right. So that's right. That's yeah. what I was trying to explain. Which, <laughs> so yeah, was my analogy. But I've seen things. guys. I've seen guys that, uh, and we talked about this very recently, all of us. Not maybe not you, but when <laughs> when those edges roll, some guys the first thing they do is they grab a stone. Yeah, you and me just talked about this, and then you actually break that burr off. <laughs> you actually break off the burr, which is your edge. It's gone, so you end up with a worse, a more inferior edge than you started with. Yeah. So there's two kinds of tools. There's abrasive tools which remove metal. That's all your stones that we've been talking about. And then these steel things, those are displacement tools. They don't take any material off. People probably think they do. They don't. They're only for displacing the edge and realigning it and rolling it back over straight so that you get it. Now, and if you really want to go to a stone, which you eventually are going to have to, after 100, 200, 300, 400 stealings, you first want to displace that edge to its true position, aligned, and then you can go to the stone. Yeah. But when you got a when you got an edge that's all rolled over and dull because you hit a bone butchering a deer, uh, no, no, just steal it back straight. Do yourself a favor. You'll take that edge right off with a bone. So one side will be sharp because you just took off the bird there. The other side's going to be rounded because it was rolled over. So when these two converge, you don't have a true edge anymore. You don't have a V edge anymore. You got a rounded half and a sharp half. So in the folded hands analogy, when you have your fingers curled over and they're pointing down, you would actually just be cutting your fingertips off and you'd still be left with the dull edge. <laughs> That's right. Right. And, and so you got to straighten them up. That way you start hitting your angle and you're sharpening all the steel that's available. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can't. And I learned that embarrassingly late that you're actually making things worse instead of better mm -hmm. when you just grab a stone and go for it i made those i made a couple of those v-shaped ceramic sharpeners with the rods and i pulled it through i made it duller it took the damned edge off <laughs> and i'm like what's going on here but i figured it out yeah right <laughs> you're taking the edge off you you want to move it back over you know yeah. So one of the one of the groups I watch is the Bearded Butchers. I don't know if you ever seen those guys. They're like brothers or something. They and they they go through all different cuts of meat. They they have videos on how to do deer. They have videos on how different cut. You know, oh, you're curious where the porterhouse is. You're curious where the flight comes from. Stuff like that. And they throw up like this big chunk of something, and then they carve down all the different pieces of meat. And then, but anyway, their knife work is awesome. You it know, is. you've seen it, it is outstanding. Yeah. And but those guys uh, in one hand is a knife, and on the table next to the other hand is a steel. And they do something, whoosh, 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 put it down, make a few cuts, and whoosh, 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 those guys are stealing all day. 
Oh, yeah. You know? Do you, like, I tried to quantify how many hundreds of times between sharpenings you're going to do it. I, I, I honestly don't know. It depends yeah. on your use. Yeah, it right, all depends. Right. If I sharpen them once every nine months and I steal them every day, I know if I'm doing a turkey, I steal it two, three times. Yeah. Can, can you, you know? tell us how to use the steel real quick? You, you want to maintain the same acute angle. So if we if you visualize the, your 12-degree your angle, we said, you... Uh, you want to maintain that angle with the steel. So what I do, you see guys doing it on their side. They do the top, the bottom of the blade. Man, I'm pretty good at judging angles, and I know I couldn't do that. <laughs> so you're talking so, about the guys that are going real fast, being yeah, like just real kind creative. of being showy. Yeah, just being showy. I stand the thing up so I can still see it and visualize it, and I put the blade next to it at about 12 degrees, and I draw it through. I do the same on the other side. And you can feel it straightening up. You can mm-hmm. feel that. If you don't feel it, then you can bend the angle a little more, uh, what would you say, obtusely. Yeah, obtusely. Mm-hmm. And, you can, and, and then draw it through again, slightly more, you know, another degree or two, whatever you think you can do. And you draw it through and you say, okay, I felt some bite there. So we're going to stay with that angle yeah, for a while. Definitely. So you go left, right, left, right. Again, the thing's sticking straight up and it's out in front of you. So you can actually look and see to your left and to your right of that steel, which is right out in front of you. So you're going to come up with a symmetrical approach to stealing that knife through there. So that's that's what I do. Yeah. These other guys that do it, I've seen guys, chefs, do it overhead. Yeah, just was, for show, though. Just for show. Guy did it every five minutes, seriously. But <laughs> but And it was fun to watch. Yeah. Now what about, uh, let's move into straps, just because we're, we're kind of going over our normal time here. But what about straps? So, because you got me that real nifty one. I use it. Uh, I don't want to say daily, but I would say two or three times a week, you know. That's a paddle strap. That's a piece of wood with leather wrapped around it, you know. Two different kinds of leather. There's like two different, two different cor- grits. Two different grits of rouge yeah. that you would put on. Okay, when you, when you whenever you put a, a, an abrasive compound, remember a strap is largely a, re- a, a displacement tool. We talked about displacement. It rolls the edge back over. It really does the same thing that a steel does, but at a much more molecular level, let's let's smooth. say. It's uh, a yeah. way smoother right. edge when you're done. You get the best of both worlds when you also add an abrasive in there. So that green strapping compound, that's, uh, that's actually chromium oxide. They use like a 5 micron. That's how small the particles are. And you charge up. That's what, that's what happens. That's what we call when you put a compound on a strap. You charge the strap. So you charge it with this chromium oxide. And that also polishes your knife at the same time that the leather straightens your knife, okay? Um, And then there's various grits of that that you can drive yourself nuts with. I mean, the other side of yours, one is called Dan's Yellowstone. That's that's finer than the chromium oxide. So the rough and the finished part is uh, 5 micron chromium oxide for rough and that Dan's Yellowstone, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. That's That's on the other side. The other thing too is those are all flesh side out. There's two there's, there's two sides of leather. One is the the flesh side and one is the outside, the, the hair side, yeah. right? Okay, yours are Oh, definitely. Yours are flesh side out. Yeah. Because that's a little rougher texture. It yeah. will sharpen your knife. It'll draw that edge back quicker like a steel would. It also holds compound better than a, s- a real slick skin. Yeah. You know. So that's what I do. That's what I use all the time. So paddle but you've strap. But you've also owned nylon ones over the years. That was a that was a that particular one was a canvas one. Oh, canvas. Okay. Yeah, and uh, 
you charge that up with a dry rouge. There was they gave you two grits with that stone, rough and finished. So the one side of the strap was rough, the other was finished. Yeah. You know, if you buy an old fashioned razor strap at a butcher store, um, that's like smooth. That, huh? It's kind of like a belt. It's kind of like a belt. It's the yeah. smooth side out, smooth side of the leather out, and uh, they give you this like rough linen uh for an inside thing that's that's for really scratching your edge and straighten it out and then you go to the leather you know so you can use them too so real quick one thing i think we missed on both the steel and uh the strop you pull the knife so it's land last you are edge trailing yeah edge trailing edge trailing i don't do that with my steel no, I push with no, steel. Did, did you? I, okay, I do it with the steel. You, I do it. I do it like he says, edge trailing on the steel at least to start. Because if that edge is like this, do I really want to take it off going like this? No, I'd rather roll it back in the direction it came. I don't know. I I always take it, but everything other than the strap, the only thing I pull is that strap or the one steel that you gave us. And even that half the time on that, I push that mm-hmm. that flat steel. You know, to yeah. me that just doesn't make sense. I always do the land last or edge trailing, like he's saying, where you're pulling the knife on um, the strap. I do nothing else. I still got to agree that it's better on a steel. Even professional butchers don't do it. I, I get that, but I still it just because I'm a metal worker for a living myself. I'm thinking. We want to roll that. We want to flow it in that direction. So that's the direction I'm going to start with. I'm going to start going backward. When they do it with the steel, they're really not. They're going like, they're kind of like 90 degrees, like they're cutting it off or something. Yeah. Oh, no, but that it, makes it, sense. But I've, I've watched you do it that way a thousand times going. Yeah. And then, uh, but, but pulling makes sense too. And I've seen a lot of people pulling. But for me, I usually grab that, that steel and I'm going straight down towards my hand. And, and that's fine. Like, you can keep doing that. That's just think about sometime if it's really rolled over bad and you know you nicked the blade, you had the edge of the plate and something, you just might want to roll it in the direction whence it came, you know. Um, so for straps, uh, any recommendations for straps? What somebody if you're gonna own one strap, which one would you own? Uh the the, the wooden paddle strap with the leather. Yeah, you know, I love it. They're, the one thing I love about that one versus that, that canvas one you had, that one had a dangle on something. You had to put yep. that on something, and you had to pull tension in it, and mine's, mine's a piece of wood. I, we keep it on top of the, the block yep. with the knives. You also get a convexing. If, you use, if you're using a strap, the strap bows, doesn't it? Yeah. It produces a yeah. convex, like a, a convex edge on your knives that you don't want. Some people say you, you do want, but... Uh, I say no. And the leather paddle strap is more inclined to give you a straight edge. They bend and they dip a little bit too, you know, yeah. the, the leather itself, which would give you a convexing bit. Then we're getting technical seems, there. Yeah, it seems you know? more uniform on, on the right. wooden block. So that paddle strap you think is the best? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's the best. So this is, uh, I got two more little questions here. But So if you had a guess, you get a brand new knife like this. Mm-hmm. From the moment you get this to the moment you call it, it's sharp. How many hours of work do you think you got into it? If the width of the land is shallow like that, yeah. you know, some of them are really thick. I'm working on one now that's really thick. And it takes it gets exponential. To, you know, every ten thousandth of an inch wider that it gets might double the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's okay, so, so the CKRT. Okay, I am in cruiser. How many hours of that actually came pretty sharp. But oh, if okay. you really wanted to really wanted to touch that up, it's Probably an hour and a half. And then if you group it with a bunch of knives, 
I mean, typically the last few knives I've sharpened, I've gone through nine different stones in the progression. Yeah. Which sounds like a stupid thing to do for one knife. Well, I'm doing a bunch of knives, so. Yeah, you pull mm-hmm. that stone out. Right. Pull do that, all the knives. Yeah. And, and, so, and that's called progression, like I say, stone progression. So something like that could take you, I mean, typically it's going to take you an hour and a half. An hour, hour and a half. And you get some real thick land thing, you might have five hours in it. You, yeah. you know, you do a session tonight and a little more tomorrow and a little more. And uh, it can happen. It all depends on the width of the land. And that's why those mores in that with the Scandi grind that have that huge width of land. You need more pressure. You need more yeah. pressure. That's where the, this is a loaded question again, that's where the water stones come in. Yeah. Water stones naturally give way, then create a slurry like a mud. It does two things. It puts the mud to work for you in addition to the stone. And it's constantly giving way and exposing those new edges. Remember we said when you dress a wheel or a stone, yeah. you're exposing new jagged edges? Mm-hmm. Water stones, that happens naturally because as they dissolve, new coarse edges appear in yeah, the stone. Okay? That makes sense. So that's, you know, that's one reason if you need one for using water stones. Mm-hmm. Now, one last little question I got. Uh, what is your favorite folder and sheath knife? Like just your all time, your absolute favorite. Wow, you got any? I know. I'll tell you what. I would, how about the brand at least? I know at least for folder, because uh, I know you got all these little. How many knives do you think you own? I mean, it's hundreds, right? Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's probably at least three hundred. Yeah, you know, mostly mostly case and those type knives. Yeah, from however many years old to new. Yeah. So, but what, I mean, if you had to pick at least a brand, what would be your favorite? Folder? You got to go with the old American case folder knife, okay? Yeah. If, if that's what, if we're talking about that's that, easily his favorite. Just, you're, just you're, like, like for me, uh, the C, CRK. I keep saying CKRT because it just rolls off my yeah. tongue. Columbia River knife and tool. Okay, Col- yeah. And these have became my favorite. I Those are had, good knives. I always had Sog. I like Sog. Buck, I like Buck. But for some reason, the last like two or three of these I've owned are just, they're, these are tough. They give you a lot yeah. of bang for the buck. Like Bill likes Kershaw. Yeah, Kershaw. Yeah. Same okay. thing. Gives you a lot of bang for the buck. There's no reason with these knife snobs that want to spend $400 on a pocket knife. Right. You know, it's crazy. I'm Name- using this at work to cut open boxes and stuff. You know, yeah. Bags. I just use it for like it's- random... Nick, uh, Nick needed my pliers today, by the way. Those SOG pliers you got me. We were yeah. out in the woods trying to... Uh, he got a memory card stuck, and he couldn't get his fingers in there. He goes, you got a pair of pliers on you. We're out in the middle of the woods, just me and him. I'm like, I do. He goes, you do. And I pull them out, and he was all excited to have them, you know? <laughs> he usually carries... He's he got a Gerber. And he was mad at himself for it. Yeah. And he forgot him. He goes, I forgot he, that tool. He bought those in college. Yeah. You know? He used them all the time. Now, what's so your what favorite you, uh, sheath utility knife? That's yeah. what I was going to say. Uh, you got to go with Buck. Again, if I seem American biased, you got to forgive me. See, my favorite, not that I really use it, but my favorite still is the K-Bar. Like, I just I oh. love my K-Bar. K-Bar is good. It's not a complete product line. It's just a, it's K-Bar knives. You got to love them. It's the USMC Marine World War II. Yeah. big how we, knife. <laughs> how we whip the world knife, right? <laughs> it's 1095 carbon steel. It sharpens up real easy in a New York minute. You got to love them. Yeah. yeah. I that? like the K-Bar, but... Which buck then? I my hunting knife. My main hunting knife is a buck, and I forget the model on it. I love it. Folder? No, sheath. I don't know enough about hunting. Um, no, that I'm sounds gonna... real stupid and all of this that I don't know enough about hunting. But you have big knives, which I think you might not use for your deer, 
and you got your smaller ones. So they got that that number 102, which is a, a Buck Woodsman, which is about the size of your folding Buck 110 blade. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you you can decide for yourself, you hunters here, if that's what you want. I but wouldn't they, want a real long blade just because you don't want to be piercing stomachs on yeah, accident. Yeah, exactly. Know? So and then they make specialized skinners with with uh, drop points instead of you know the real sharp clip point yeah you'll mm-hmm. pierce the gut on an animal with that but a drop point no you'll be less inclined to do so still can but you'll be less inclined yeah so they they make a whole product line with drop points versus clip points this is what i carry it's buck six eight five this is what i carry hunting okay now that's a drop point knife okay that's a drop point knife uh hey i tell you it came sharp as hell I mean, shaving they, they, hair right they, out of the box. They do a really good job. They've been around a while. They're, I love their their heat treat. Forget about steel types for the steel snobs out there. They uh, they get them hard. They put a nice edge on them. I still take them and do my thing on a brand new buck knife. I'll <laughs> you know when I get done, they're stopped and you know. Um, Buck's your favorite brand now for sheet for, knives. For sheet knives, I'm gonna say yes. Okay. Yeah. If if we're talking about a global a whole product line, yeah, Buck is. When you talk about individual favorites like a K bar, I'm not gonna argue with you. <laughs> yeah. I love my I got a couple of K bars too, you know. You got one with a synthetic handle too, don't you? Isn't that you that owns that? Or is that Joe? <laughs> they, they mine's a leather handle. You know, I thought they made one that was a plastic handle. You might be thinking of my buck. It was the one that buck. Uh, no, the Nighthawk, not that. No, the K bar made an actual plastic handle. I think you own one. You know I mine's the leather washers. Yeah, mine mine's the leather. I got two two of those with the leather washers too. You don't own a plastic one that was a slightly cheaper and lighter weight with a plastic handle. Yeah, but it's not a, it's not K bar. It's somebody. It's a Chinese clone. Oh, it's not a K bar. It just looks exactly like a K bar. Yeah, oh, I thought K bar came out with this at one point. I was just telling the guy to look for it. I said, hey, because he's he's asking me. He goes, you know what a K bar is? I'm like, yeah, I've had one for like 20 years. Chinese clone. And I told him, I said, you got to look for the K-Bar with the plastic handle. I said, they're a lot lighter. You can get them wet and things won't change. He goes, oh, okay. I never heard back from them. Like, and, where are you find those? Yeah, he's asking there's, everybody. There's K-Bar shorties too, which might lend themselves more. Cool. So it's the, it's the big, the other one's seven inches. I don't know what the shorty is. It's probably four and a half yeah, or five. Yeah, four is my guess. And uh, they're not that much different in price though. That's the only difference. No. Or well, you only, yeah. So what kind of blade is my old timer? You know that little old timer that I got for the, the one that I use for field dressing. It's called a trailing point, yeah. or a, it's an upswept point, which I think is called a trailing point. Yeah, and it's for skinning. In fact, you described the skinning process to me because you know how to put your fingers there and do yeah. it without, you know. But that's 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 their like proprietary shape, upswept skinner trailing point. So old timer is the brand, or no? The company is Schrade. Schrade, old Schrade, and knife. they call their product. It's like GM has Chevy's. Yeah. Okay, so Schrade has an old timer line. Yeah. That's just what they call it. They also have an Uncle Henry line. Is there a Rough Riders? Something Rough Riders. Rough Rider is the house brand of Smoky Mountain Knife Works. Oh, okay. Because I got some of those. Okay. Yeah, I know. Those are. I like those. I think they yeah. and they've come a long way, and their latest and greatest stuff is really, really nice. And but that's their house brand, Smoky Mountains. They also bought a couple of names out, like Queen Cutlery was an old American name. They bought that name out. So Queen is one of their house brands. Marbles, Webster Marbles was the guy that came up with the safety axe and different knives and stuff like that. They bought his name 
from somebody. And now Marbles is one of their house brands. So Smoky Mountain isn't just a store. It's a big player in the manufacturing part. Is that your favorite knife place to go? Like if you were shopping for a knife, would you go there first? (laughs) I go wherever the deal is. If it's Knife Center in New York or Smoky Mountain Knife Works in uh, Seaverville, Tennessee, I think it is. Okay. So I like both of them, but they have the the Rough Rider, which is in my price range. If I mean, if I can get a fifteen dollar knife that looks like a yeah. ninety dollar one, I'm gonna be inclined to take it. And their metallurgy is good. They're four forty a steel for the most part, which is okay. It's not the <laughs> ultimate best, it, yeah. but it's really good. Well, except for fifteen bucks, I'd rather own a oh. bunch of fifteen dollar knives than one four hundred dollar knife. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you drop one off the end of the boat, you know, leave one out yeah. in the woods. It's like somebody's fishing lure prices. I, I don't want to get them wet for the, for the <laughs> amount of money they cost. Why would you want to wet them? Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, $60 musky lure. You're thinking that's, I'm not throwing yeah. not even. Some of these are even way crazier than that. Yeah. Well, he came up with that one. What was the one that the guy lent you? Oh, the Boilermaker. Boilermaker. The Lee's Boilermaker. They were $45 then. They're probably... He just looked them up. How much? There was sixty-five or seventy-five. So bucks the, a pop. the the medium one was sixty-five. The big ones like eighty. Something. You can get those at the musky shop in Orland, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, fishing connection or something. Yeah, yeah. You can get those. Uh, I think the guy, guy asked me one time, "Do you want me to reserve one for you?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Nah, no." <laughs> <laughs> like you said, I'd be too afraid to throw that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get that wet. <laughs> All this is is a bucktail with a piece of balsa wood on. Yeah. Kel surprised me because they were sixty bucks back in the I mean ten years ago. But hanging over there, I got a Nimmer swimmer. You know what a Nimmer swimmer yep, is? It's a custom. Uh, it's either the Creeper or the Globe, right? No, I'd say it's more Creeper Hog Wobbler family. It's a big build. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they used to sell them at Pastigas. And oh, okay. They were under the counter. Yeah, it was really expensive, and she got it for me for me to throw. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not throwing this. And she goes, you got, you got to use. It. I'm like, no, like I would never buy this to throw. So it, it hangs up as a decoration over here. I'm too nervous to throw it. That would be too. <laughs> ah. Anyway, anything else left for Dad here? Uh, one thing I do uh, want to say, and I, I don't know if you agree with this. So after you're done sharpening, do you use the strop to put that final edge on? Oh, there? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you would also use it as a maintenance thing as you go along absolutely okay. you want you want a field expedient you're, you're going to do all your work on your knife at the kitchen table or your workbench or whatever your favorite place is out in the garage when you get out in the field you don't have time for this so you want a field expedient sharpener that's where your steels come in yeah okay yeah and that's where your straps come in now i probably wouldn't strap out in the field i'd probably strap when i got back home but i'd steal out in the field yeah I'd steal. I'd Me and him uh, during the white bass run because we were cutting up so many fish. We were stealing all the time. Oh, oh yeah. Every three yeah. fish. Or- yeah, every three fish because you, you just feel you're starting to tear. It's all the scales yeah. and stuff, too. It's- They're yeah. armored cars. Yeah, they you are. Know. I tanks. just sharpened his up that he got from Bass Pro. It was softer than puppy poop, that steel. <laughs> and- I think you could say that. You could say that's on here. And uh, I told him, just steal this thing. It's soft, you know. And you're going to be stealing every few minutes, but you might never have to put it to a stone. It's so soft. It'll yeah, just right. kind of... Yeah, I had one. remember the one knife I had was a cheap one mm-hmm. that was like that. Yeah. Oh, it, this is soft. This is a knife you could just take and bend if you want or just stay like that. Yeah. That's I how his is. I need more experience sharpening knives that have so much bend to them. You know, so much flexibility, I should say. Yeah. You didn't... That Remember I told gave you those handles yep. to use? Oh, you I left them on the kitchen table. Ooh. I forgot. I would have brought them today. I, could, I, I got something that'll do the same thing. You wrap a rag around it. So anyway, we got to wrap this up. But anything else from you, Dan? 
Nope. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah. It's awesome. I appreciate you, you doing Not this. Not a problem. This is the guy where it all yeah. started, all this nonsense of fishing and hunting and outdoors. We could have just been, uh, you know, indoor people, but no, no, no. We <laughs> could have been Game Boy people. We you know? Know? So Every season, we had a season for everything. There was fishing season. There was hiking season. That was also sledding season. And then, you know. Baseball. We went, then there was baseball. And then when baseball was over, we were back into fishing, mm-hmm. you know. But we always had something. We always had something going. We were always outside. So real quick, your final five-second pitch for why you get a stone rather than a V-shaped sharpener like the ones that you drag through. Five-second pitch. Those other ones remove metal chips, those V-shaped right. pull-through sharpeners. They're trash knives. Yeah, and trash knives. I got you. Right. And you'll think you're going to town, you pull them through, and say, oh, wow, look at the curled chips coming off of this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's your knife, buddy. It's gone now. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, that's so anybody wants to email us comments, questions, contact at weekendwildpodcast.com. Don't Anything forget else? the Instagram. So, yeah, you can look us up on Instagram, too. We Can Wild, We Can Wild Pat, and not Bush Lake Billy. I don't know what his is off the top of my head. The OSA Eclipse. Ah, okay. Underscore Mm. between the OSA and Eclipse. All right, we're going to go hang out with Benny for a little bit. Thanks, Dan. All right, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.